Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. We are so, so honored to have Brother Woodward with us. Amen. All the way from Fredericton, Canada. Last night was absolutely life-changing. Aren't you thankful for that word we had last night? Oh, I've never, never seen it on this wise. Now I can look at my wife and say, you look like a horse. And she's not getting mad at me. <laughs> I will not say that she has a nose like a tower, though. That's not going to happen. And uh, thank you so much for last night. Our hearts, have, I woke up this morning thinking about the word. And as I start thinking about it, I start crying about he came to where I am. I love him. I'm going to tell you that much. I love him for who he is. How many love the Lord tonight? Oh, I love him. When I think of the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Woodward, would you come? Amen. We're so thankful. I think you ought to give him a big welcome. Ohio, welcome here today. Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight with all of you. And I'm so very grateful for uh, these meetings. What a privilege it is to be part of this week with all of you. And uh, I, I, you just pardon me. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you again how much I appreciate the friendship and the ministry and the leadership of your pastor and his wife. You are abundantly blessed. Pastor Aaron Bounds, wherever he goes, he just stirs up revival and hunger for God, hunger for soul winning and prayer. One of the most effective pastors I have met in all of my travels. And I give you great honor, Pastor Bounds. I thank God for you. I really do. And he's just a great guy, too. Uh, even if he does refer to his wife as a horse. Uh, <laughs> uh, nobody would believe it, would they? What a sweet lady. You're, you're abundantly blessed. Uh, I thank God for the promise of revival. I thank God for the purpose of revival. And I thank God that we don't have to put forth some strenuous effort to ask God for another Pentecost because the first Pentecost was absolutely sufficient. There's not another Pentecost coming, but there's a restoration and a revival of what God's already invested in us through the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not a new Pentecost we're looking for. It's that old original Pentecost. We're not looking for more of God to suddenly appear out of heaven. We're looking for more of God to appear out of us, the church, as we go about our lives in this earth. That's revival. That's revival. That's revival. One of the reasons I appreciate your pastor is because he gave me this opportunity to be with you, and I'm honored and blessed. And You know, in the Word of God, there are different ministries and giftings that God gives to the body. And, um, and, and by nature, this is kind of going to be more of a teaching revival because I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. 
uh, you already got a great preacher. So this is a little bit more of a teacher in your Bible. Now I'll tell you that when I grew up in New Brunswick, Canada, when they said about a man's ministry, when they said, he's a teacher, what they meant was, he's a really boring preacher. That's exactly what they meant. I knew that as a kid. You know, they'd say, he's a teacher. It's like the death knell for his ministry. And it was especially bad if they said, he's a teacher, bless his heart. Oh, that was even worse. It was just awful. So, uh, so I'm a teacher, bless my heart. So anyway, but I want to preach to you, teach to you something tonight that has been maybe one of the most helpful understandings that uh, I've received from Scripture. I want to talk to you tonight about God's guarantee. God's guarantee. Do you know if God makes you a promise, there's no devil in hell that can stand against that promise. There's no force on this planet that can undo God's purpose. There is not. There is not. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We're going to read a little passage and we'll back up and unpack it in a few moments. And we know, someone shout, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And then Paul's punchline. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I'd like you to say that last sentence with me. Say, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'd like you to say with a little attitude, if God be for us, who can be against us? Would you lift up your hands and more importantly, your voice? Fill this sanctuary with your longing, with your worship, with your expectation, with your desire, with your praise, with your adoration to the Lord. I worship you. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's enough apostolic people filled with the Holy Ghost in this place. If you'd pray in the Spirit for a moment, it would loose something in this room. It would let something go that we need on a Monday night of revival. Just pray in the Spirit for a moment. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, thank you, God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> and just to show the devil we can do this any way we want, standing up, laying down, walking around, or seated, would you clap your hands and shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph, Jesus is among us, Jesus is in us, Jesus is for us. Now, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 
he, he says this scripture, he writes it down, he sends it to the people in Rome, and it's a scripture that a lot of people love. It's a scripture that a lot of people have memorized. It's a verse that a lot of people slightly misquote. It's a verse that people pin on fridge magnets, and they put it on their refrigerator, or they put it in a little plaque, and they hang it on their wall. And, and they have these words there, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So it is true, it is God's guarantee that all things will work together for good, but there's a qualifier. To them who love God and to them who are either called according to his purpose. Now I've noticed and maybe you've noticed that there's a lot of people that can quote that scripture or they have it pinned on their refrigerator, but they don't really believe it. They can quote it, they don't believe it. And here's how I know they don't believe it, because when bad things happen to them, when sad things happen to them, they immediately start to whine and grumble and murmur and complain. So they really are challenged to believe that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are other called according to his purpose. But Paul says this is God's guarantee. All things work together for good for you if you love God, if you're called according to his purpose. Now, Paul's a theologian. He can't rest on that. He has to explain it. He gets into the deep weeds sometimes. Even Peter said about Paul, he said there's things in his writings that people twist and they, they misinterpret. Uh, Paul, he's a brilliant mind and a, he's a powerful theologian. So he has to explain what he just said. And here's his illustration. He says, for whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So here, here's the thing. The Bible uses this word predestinate, or we would say predestination. There's a lot of people over 2,000 years of church history that have twisted that word predestination into something that God never intended it to be. They interpret predestinate as something that's totally outside the boundaries of Scripture. Here's how they interpret predestination. Well, God loves you, and God loves you, and God loves you, so you're going to heaven regardless of what you do. You're going to heaven regardless of how many sins you commit. You're going to heaven regardless of your lifestyle or your morality because God loves you. He has predestinated you individuals for heaven. And then the, the same doctrine would say, well, God doesn't like you, and he doesn't like you, and he doesn't like you. So he's got another group, and he's picked out those people. It doesn't matter how much good they do or how much they believe or how much they obey the word of God. They're going to hell. That's predestination misinterpreted. It's awful. God's not that unjust. God's not that unfair. God doesn't break his own word. God doesn't break his own scripture. That's not what predestination is. So if God doesn't predestinate individuals, the word predestination is in the Bible. So what does predestination mean? Predestination means that God knows beforehand who's going to serve him. He knows beforehand who's going to live for him. He knows beforehand who's going to be baptized in his name and filled with his spirit. He knows beforehand who's going to go in the rapture. So God doesn't predestinate individuals. You make that choice. But God does predestinate groups. And here's the truth of the scripture. It's a startling truth. It's, it's a horrifying truth. But there is a group of people on this planet right now, and they are predestined to go to hell and spend eternity outside of the presence of God in eternal torment. That group is called the sinners. 
And so you've got to do whatever it takes. You've got to pay whatever price you have to pay. You've got to make whatever decision you've got to make. You've got to leave behind whatever you need to leave behind. But you've got to get yourself and everybody you know and love, you've got to get out of that group. Because that group called the sinners, that group, not individuals, individuals have to make their own choice, but that group is predestined for eternity in hell. But I've got wonderful news for you on this Monday night. There's another group, and that group is called the church. It's the church of the firstborn. It's the church that's baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's the church that's baptized in Jesus' name. And the church is predestined to walk on streets of gold. The church has an appointment already set to go in the rapture. The church is going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. So you got to do whatever you have to do. Pay whatever price you have to pay. Make whatever decision you need to make. Leave behind whatever activity, whatever sin, whatever friends you need to leave behind. But you get yourself and you get everybody you know and love in that church because the church is predestined to walk on streets of gold and spend forever in a place where there's no more tears or pain or suffering or death. That is predestination in the Bible. And God has predestinated the church, so that allows him to do something powerful for us. He already knows who's going in the rapture. He already knows who's going to walk on streets of gold. He already knows who's in his bride. And so that lets God do something so powerful that hell can't thwart and hell can't interfere with. And here's what it allows God to do since he already knows he can look at you as you're living for him. Have you noticed this? Not every day is a great day. Not every day is a happy day. Not every situation you get in is going to bring a smile to your face. There's going to be tears. There's going to be pain. There's going to be times of sickness. There's going to be times of confusion. There's going to be times when you struggle to figure out what ends up as you're walking through life. Because life is just life. And the rain falls on the just and the rain falls on the unjust. And sinners have bad days and godly people have bad days. And sinners get sick and godly people get sick. But here is God's guarantee for you because you're living for him because he already knows you're going in the rapture because you're in the church you've made a decision I'm not only in it I'm staying in it I'm not only in it tonight I'm going to be in it next year I'm going to be in the church if the Lord tarries 20 years from now I'm going to be right here pastor I'm going to be serving God I'm going to be praising God I'm going to be living holy I'm going to be obeying scripture I've already made up my mind and because God knows that See, God doesn't live in time like you do. You get up in the morning with your alarm clock, you go to work at a certain time, you come home at a certain time, you take your lunch at a certain time. Probably many of you go to bed roughly around the same time every night. You live as a creature of time. God does not. God is not confined by time. He's not limited to operate in time. God lives in eternity. That's why John in the book of Revelation said, he's the God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God lives in your present, past, and future all at the same, oh my goodness. 
That means that while you're worshiping God here in the present on this Monday night, God, while you're worshiping in the present, that's all you got. You can't go back to yesterday and fix something. You can't go in the future and make something easier. You're confined to the present. But while you're worshiping God in the present, while you're praying in the present, God can go back to your past and he can turn your worst mistake into the greatest miracle you've ever heard about. God can go back and he can turn your greatest trial into your greatest testimony. Not only that, while you're worshiping God in the present, he can go into your future and he can bring down mountains and he can pull up valleys and he can make a way where there is no way. That's the God you're worshiping right now. Ah. And that's what Paul means when he says that God, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. His picture is that God's out here in eternity future looking back at the people who are serving him. He's already in the future. God already knows the roster for rapture day. God already knows who's going to be there. So here's God's guarantee for people who love him and are called according to his purpose. This doesn't work for sinners. Sinners go through awful things. Sinners go through sad things and tragic things. And when they get through, there's no eternal benefit. It's just life. But when you as a child of God go through the very same kinds of sickness and trial and tribulation and all kinds of issues, here's what God promises. He will take even the bad days. He'll take even the sad days. He'll take even the travesties and the tragedies and he'll use them for your good. He'll use the worst situation you can imagine. If a sinner walked through it, it's just a bad situation. But when you walk through it and come out on the other side, God God said, I'll even use that to conform you into my image. Nothing is wasted in the life of a child of God. Not one thing. If you're called according to his purpose, if you love him, that's God's guarantee. He said he's got a lifelong building project to make you, to conform you into the image of his son. You know, we could save pastor a whole lot of work. Because there's precedent in the word of God in the book of Acts. Most of the time, people repent of their sins, then they're baptized in Jesus' name, and then they receive the Holy Ghost. That's the usual pattern. But there is one place in the book of Acts. So we have precedent where they had obviously repented of their sins, and then they received the Holy Ghost, and then they were commanded to be baptized in Jesus' name. So there is at least biblical precedent for repentance, receiving the Holy Ghost, and then being baptized. We could save this great man of God a whole lot of work if we just let people repent, prayed them through to the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, took them to the baptistry, put them down in Jesus' name, and just held them under <laughs> until the bubbles all stopped. No more church problems, no more pastoral counseling, no, no more trials, tribulation. We just go straight to heaven, do not pass go, do not collect $200. It's all over. It's amazing. Save you a lot of work, Pastor. You're welcome. Do you know why we don't do that? Because if you're still breathing, God's still working on you. If you're still breathing, God has a lifetime of you walking with him. And he's going to use every day. Good days, bad days, sad days, hard days, easy days. He's going to use them all to conform you into his image. That's why we don't do that. Because God's got a lifelong construction zone going in your life. Paul says, 
whom he did predestinate, them he called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. So again, his picture is God's in eternity future, and he's looking back at his church, and he's saying, come on, church, you can make it. You can do this. I've already seen it. I already called you. I already justified you. I already sanctified you. I can already see rapture day. I already glorified you. As far as God is concerned, when he looks at his church, it's already a done deal. There is nothing that hell can unleash against the church, not COVID-19, not an authoritarian regime, not any kind of government mistake, not any kind of cultural issue. There's nothing the devil can unleash against the church but what God who's already in eternity future can just flip it and turn it around and use it for our good. Yeah, COVID-19, two years of confusion and restriction and all kinds of isolation and whatever. Do you know that the apostolic doctrine has never filled the airwaves of the internet like it does today? There were literally tens of thousands of churches around the world that tried to get on the online. They'd never been online before. My friend Tim Lee in Singapore said to me a few years ago, he said, there's so much junk on YouTube, we've just determined we're going to fill YouTube with apostolic preaching and apostolic teaching and apostolic music. So yeah, COVID-19, the enemy intended it for evil, but you know what God did? He just flipped that around and used it for good. Hmm. So let's move on or I'll get stuck there. God does not promise that all things will be good. But he does promise us that all things will work together for good. Now, my wife's a phenomenal cook. You take one look at me, you know my wife's a phenomenal cook. I'm not. I could burn water trying to boil it. But here's what I do know about cooking. When you take the ingredients of a chocolate cake and you take them all by themselves and you try to eat them, uh, you're going to have a good day if it's your sugar day. But if it's your flour day... Nah. If it's your raw egg day, not a good day, at least for most of us normal people. Um, I know there's all kinds of health food weirdo things, so maybe. There's bacon. Oh, I hit something there, Pastor. There, I know bacon soda, like I don't get ramped up, you know. But here's what I know. If you put all those ingredients together and you apply some heat to them, out pops a chocolate cake. Now, I'm in. I'm good. Do you know God promised your life not every day is going to be the same? Not every issue is going to feel the same? Not every service is going to be the same for you? Not every Sunday is going to be the same for you? But God said, I'm going to take it all and I'm going to work it together. They won't all be good, but I'm going to work it together for your good. And God's goal is that you be conformed to the image of his son like a piece of clay on a potter's wheel. God's going to conform you and make you into his image. God's goal is that you become like Jesus. So the question is, what's Jesus like? Well, here's the answer. Jesus is like the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is like. You were created to be a vessel for the Holy Ghost to dwell in, and when you refuse to let God control things, you quickly get out of alignment because then your flesh is left in charge. And when your flesh is left in charge, I don't care if you've been a church member for 150 years, if your flesh gets in charge, you're going to hurt yourself. 
Here's what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. Galatians 5. This is from the New Living Translation. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's what happens when your flesh gets in control. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Paul says, let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when you've got the Holy Ghost in you, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these things. The law doesn't have precedence here. It's not law that's making us create these things. It's the Holy Ghost in us that is growing the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have to grit your teeth or pull yourself up by your own bootstraps if you'll walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now notice that the works of the flesh, everyone say the works of the flesh. That's plural, works of the flesh. Because some people think, well, yeah, Pastor Raymond, uh, I'm not sexually immoral, but do you have outbursts of anger in your life? See, it's the works of the flesh. Any one of them is enough to destroy you. Any one of them is enough to take you out of the purpose of God. And also, in contrast to the works of the flesh, plural, there's the fruit of the Spirit. And we say fruit of the Spirit. That's singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. And see, some people, they say, well, I don't have any problem with, with, with peace I, I just have so much peace. I must have the fruit of the Spirit. No, some people are just lazy. They're not peaceful. They're just lazy. They're in a permanent coma. They, they have no ambition, no drive. And they say, I got peace, peace like a river. No, you don't. Just because fruit of the Spirit is singular. That's, so just if you have one of these areas you think you got it tackled... No, no, it's all of it. It's a singular fruit. God wants to grow all of these characteristics in you. So you say, well, I've got peace, but do you have love for people? Do you have joy? Do you have patience? Do you have self-control? It all grows together. Now, theologians say that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence, the first evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. But the Bible would make a case that the fruit of the Spirit is the ongoing evidence of having the Holy Ghost. So just because you spoke in tongues one time 20 years ago, if you're not growing more like Jesus in your spirit and more like Jesus in your actions and your reactions, then I would suggest you're probably doing it wrong. Now, it's God's guarantee that this process of being made into his image, it's God's guarantee that it will work if you will let it work. Somebody say, let it work. But here's the problem. Not all parts of God's process are going to be pleasant. Not all of them are going to be easy. Not all of them will be uh, great to go through. God has a toolbox to work on you. And i got to confess tonight, I'm in the pulpit, I need to tell the truth. You won't like all the tools that God uses in your life to make you into his image. I don't like them all. Um, some of his methods can be confusing. Some of them can be frustrating. But we have God's guarantee that they will work if we will let them work. 
What are some of the ways that God uses to conform us into his image? What are some of the tools in his toolbox? Well, one of his tools is right here. It's the word of God. Aren't you glad you come to a church that preaches the word of God without fear or favor? There's not some kind of agenda. We just preach it. If it's in the word of God, we want to embrace it and live it and obey it. If it's not in the word of God, we don't go near it. You see, that that's a good church. And God uses his word to conform us into his image. But God also uses his spirit to conform us into his image. Because the Bible doesn't talk about every contemporary issue we face today. The newest parts of the Bible were written 2,000 years ago. So God will use the Holy Ghost if you'll listen. God will use the Holy Ghost to say, don't you go there and don't you touch that and don't you go back there and don't you be around that. And if we'll learn to listen to the Holy Ghost, it will help us and conform us into his image. Now, I would be really good. Confession's good for the soul. I would be really good if it was just the Word and if it was just the Spirit that God used on me. I don't like this next one. God uses people <laughs> to conform us into His image. And I've literally had this conversation with Jesus. Jesus, just once, couldn't you use some nice people to knock my rough edges off? Do you have to use kind of weirdos and wackos and people that come into my life and they cause me all kinds of grief and confusion? Couldn't you use some nice, normal people once in a while? Y'all look at me so spiritual. And then it would be wonderful if all you had was the Word and the Spirit and people. But then God uses circumstances in our lives to conform us into His image. You know, the one thing about people is you can go to bed and go to sleep and people disappear for a few hours. But you can go to sleep and your circumstances can get worse while you're sleeping. You have no control over it. And God uses circumstances to conform us into his image. And sometimes in life, even children of God, we look at what we're walking through and we say, this is so heavy and this is so hard and this is so difficult. But 2 Corinthians, Paul said, our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You think it's heavy right now, but if you could see the reward that's coming to you when you get over yonder, you wouldn't think it's so heavy anymore. When God weighs all of your trials and all of your heartache on a balance, and then you look at the reward that he gives you in the new Jerusalem, you won't think it's a heavy affliction anymore. You'll say, it was my light affliction, and it worked for me, an exceeding weight of glory, a great weight of glory. So... Here's God's guarantee, and I want to just unpack this for a few moments tonight. I want to help you tonight. God's guarantee is that he has a purpose behind every problem that you face in your life. I don't care how easy your life is or how difficult it is. You are walking in the will of God if you are a child of God. If you're obeying his word, you don't have to worry about it because God promised that he would take everything that happens to you and he would use all things and work them together for your good. That's his guarantee for his children. Now, the storms of life come into our lives for different reasons. Jonah got in a storm because he was out of the will of God. God said, go down to Nineveh and preach. He said, no. And God, Jonah got in a storm because he was out of the will of God. 
Paul got in a storm because other people on that boat were out of the will of God. Paul said, don't set sail, don't let loose, there's going to be a storm. And everybody else on the boat voted to set sail, and they got in a storm. Paul got in a storm because other people were out of the will of God. And then there were Jesus' own disciples. Jesus said to them one day, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They get in a boat. They set sail about in the middle of the lake. They get into a storm. You know why they get in a storm? Because they were smack dab right in the middle of the will of God. Just because you're in a storm tonight doesn't mean you're out of the will of God, doesn't mean you're backslidden, doesn't mean God doesn't like you, doesn't mean God's not working for you. In fact, he promised he'd even use your storms and work them together for your good. So here's the principle. If you don't remember anything else from tonight, I want you to remember this. No matter what caused it, God can use it. It doesn't matter what brought it into your life. If you'll handle it according to the word of God, God promised that all things, good things, bad things, sad things, hard things, easy things, good days, bad days, tearful days, it doesn't matter what you're walking through. No matter what caused it, our God can use it to conform you into his image. It's his guarantee. Now, we're going to get a little practical for a moment. and I, I hope that doesn't weird you out. If it does, just say to yourself, he's a teacher, bless his heart, and you'll be fine. Okay. You can expect four kinds of problems in your life. Now, if you've read the Word of God a lot and you think there's 38 kinds of problems, please don't tell me about the other 34 kinds. I'm having everything I can do just to keep up with the four kinds of problems that I'm dealing with in my life. So please do not haul me aside in the foyer after church and give me a revelation of 34 more kinds. I don't need it. I'm good to go. Here's four kinds of problems that we have. Uh, the first kind of problems we have are uh, what the Bible calls trials. Everybody say trials. Now, trials come into our lives, and they're very difficult. But what a lot of people don't understand is that trials are allowed in our lives by God. God allows his own precious, beloved people to walk through situations that sometimes puzzle their reasoning, and they just don't understand. But God allows trials. So I want you to help me here tonight. I'm going to save you a, a, an extra hour at the gym. Everybody say trials. Everybody point at the ceiling and say they come from God. Everybody do that again. Say trials come from God. So we know where trials come from. If that was all we had to deal with, we'd be okay because we know God loves us and he's working for our good. But then there's another thing that we deal with in life, and the Bible calls it temptation. Everybody say temptation. Temptation. Now, temptation doesn't come from God. The Bible says God's not tempted with evil. God doesn't tempt men and women with evil uh, because that's not God's nature. Temptation comes from a different source. Do you know where temptation comes from? It comes from the devil. Everybody point down. Now, there's no basement under here, right? Good. So we're not pointing at anybody down there working for the church. Okay, good. Everybody say temptation comes from the devil. Now, I don't know that the devil's physically straight down under Zanesville, although I'd be spying on this place if I was the devil. I'd be scared of you people. This is a great church. The devil may not be straight down. He could be in Washington, D.C. I'm not sure where he is tonight. I, I have no idea. But we're just going to use this for an example. Everybody say trials come from temptation comes from. 
Now, I'm still good because if all I have to worry about is God and the devil, I can pretty much sort that out, what comes from God, what comes from the devil. I'm pretty good. But then there's this next one, and this next one is awful. If you're driving down a road here or a highway, driving by a nice farm, and you see a fence and you see a little sign, and the sign says, no trespassing, and you decide you're going to ignore that little sign, and you're going to jump over the fence and walk on somebody's property, that's not yours. What you just did is called trespasses. And that's another kind of problem that the Bible says we deal with. Trespasses. Everyone say trespasses. Now, there's a sense in the Bible where we trespass against God. Here's God's law. Here's God's rule. Here's God's commandment. And we ignore it. And we climb over it. And we go past it. And we get ourselves in trouble with God. That's called a trespass against God. But that's not what I'm talking about. There's another sense in the scripture where other people, they come across the boundaries of your life. They come into your home. They come into your face. They come into your space. They come into your place. And other people can walk into your life and they can create great hurt and havoc and pain and suffering. And you don't need to raise a hand because I know we'd have 100%. There are times when other people trespass against us. They encroach upon our lives and they cause great harm. And, you know, we can smile about it and make a joke of it, but for some people sitting in this church and in all kinds of other churches, it's a really painful thing when they think about what they went through at the hands of somebody else that abused them or misused them. It's a very painful thing. So I want you to say trespasses. Do you know where trespasses come from? Go like this. Keep your hand moving at all times. Do not point at one specific person. Trespasses, everybody say, they come from others. That's where trespasses come from. They come from other people. And other people can cause you a whole lot of pain. So, help me out. Everybody say, trials come from God. Temptation comes from the devil. Trespasses come from others. Please keep your hand moving at all times, especially if your spouse is sitting beside you. Do not go like this. Do not do that. Trespasses. And then there's a fourth thing that we deal with in life. And the Bible simply calls this troubles. Everyone say troubles. Now, by process of elimination, if trials are allowed by God, and if temptation comes from the devil, and if trespasses come from others, where do you think troubles come from? Ha ha, you got it. This is a spiritual church. Everybody say trouble comes from me. Now, here's where a lot of people get stuck in their spiritual life. Because the Bible tells us how to handle a trial, a temptation, a trespass, and a trouble. The Bible tells us. And here's where so many Christians, even people that have served Jesus for years and years, they get stuck because they try to handle one of these things in the wrong way. And when they do, it doesn't work and it gets worse. And then they want to blame God. But it's not God's fault. God gave us a guarantee that if we'll obey his word, if we'll keep his commandments, if we'll love him, if we're called according to his purpose, if you'll handle what life throws at you in the way God says to handle it. Here's what he promises. All things will work together for your good. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter what caused it. God can use it for your good if you'll handle it the biblical way. So there's a biblical way to handle all these things. So so let's start with, with this one. Everyone say trouble 
comes from me. You know, not everything in life that you face comes from somebody else. There are people that have destroyed their marriage by blaming their spouse for all kinds of stuff, and all the time it was them. They were the one that was doing the wrong. They were the one that was hurting the relationship. But they just want to blame somebody else. I got an old elder in our area. He's gone, be with the Lord now. Campbell Dudley, C.B. Dudley. And Brother Dudley used to tell this. He'd tell these little stories. They weren't real, but we loved them. He said, I was out walking in the pasture the other day and saw the devil sitting on a fence post. Well, I don't think he really did, but he said, the devil was sitting on a fence post and he was crying and crying. I said, what's wrong, Mr. Devil? The devil said to Brother Dudley, in Brother Dudley's parable, the devil said, they blame me for everything. Sometimes people blame the devil for all kinds of stuff the devil didn't cause at all. Do you know, sometimes you cause your own problems. Sometimes you're the one that made the bad decision. Sometimes you're the one that took the wrong turn. Sometimes you're the one that created the difficulty that you're now walking through. I've done this. You know, my idea of vehicle maintenance is change the oil every 15 years whether it needs it or not. That's my idea of vehicle maintenance. So if my car ever breaks down and you see me on the side of the road, don't you think the devil attacked Brother Woodward's car? That's not true. Brother Woodward attacked Brother Woodward's car. Sometimes you cause your own trouble. Sometimes you cause the pain. Do you know, um, I had always thought it took kind of a, a special kind of mental uh, whatever uh, to, to catch an article of your clothing in a paper shredder. I always thought that was a special kind of mental incapacity or something. Until a certain Sunday morning at CCC in Fredericton, when I was finishing up, I was there early, and I had finished typing out something or writing out something, and for some reason I had some sheets of paper to shred, and so I walked into the photocopier room in our office where there's the big photocopier and there's other equipment, and, and then in the corner there's the beast, the paper shredder. And I had always thought, you know, it kind of takes a special kind of stupid to catch an article of clothing in a paper shredder until that morning when I bent over the paper shredder and all of a sudden, that beast reached up and grabbed me by the necktie and started pulling me in. The next thing I heard was, ah! And I, I mean, I'm getting closer by the second. I can feel my necktie tightening around my neck. And you know, when, when, you, you're, when you come real close to a car accident, you know what they say? You know, my life flashed before my eyes. It works with paper shredders. It does. This paper shredder, I'm seeing the headlines, you know. Pastor strangled in church office. Church in mourning, little headline. Some rejoicing. I, I'm seeing all the headlines. It's pulling me closer and closer and closer, and I, I'm, I'm thinking, this is not going to be good when the staff shows up. All this is running through my head. Me laying... And I flailed my arm around, and I finally got a hold of that power cord, and I yanked that thing out of the wall, and I saved my life. And I'm still here. <laughs> I loosened that tie. I left the knot in it. It looks like somebody took, the ladies would know in sewing, pinking shears is what they call them at home, those jagged scissors. It looks like somebody took those and cut all these nice narrow fringes about six inches up. I pulled it out of the paper shredder. I put it in a special place in my office and set it up for a memorial before the Lord. 
to teach me something that sometimes, Raymond, you make your own problems. Now, here's what I did not do that morning. I did not go to the pulpit and I did not get in the, in the microphone and say, Church, the devil attacked me this morning. Because that wasn't the devil. That was me. If the devil was anywhere in the office that morning, he was probably sitting on the main desk laughing to kill himself at this preacher that had his necktie caught in the paper shredder. Sometimes you cause your own problems. And you know the Bible tells us how to handle it when you cause your own problems. A lot of people get stuck here because they try to blame somebody else. But here's what the Bible says in Psalm 31 and 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with grief, my soul and my belly. The psalmist said, I'm racked with sobs and cries and pain, and I'm just saying, Lord, please have mercy on me. Would, would you put your hands like this, like your, the praying hands? Everybody say, trouble comes from me, so I need to repent. That's what you do when you get in trouble. That's what you do when you make a wrong turn. That's what you do when you commit a, a sin. That's what you do. You repent as early as you can. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down on your sin. Don't let the sun go down on your mistake. You get in a prayer meeting all alone and you say, God, I'm so sorry. I did it to myself. I made the mistake. I took the wrong turn. So I'm repenting. You know what repenting is? Is when you're turn around and you walk a different way. Repentance is not just feeling sorry. Repentance is changing your direction. That's what repentance is. And here's what God promised you. If you'll handle it right, if you'll repent of sin, God said no matter what caused it, I can work it together for your good. I know people, and you do too, that committed horrible sins, that left God and left church and went out in the world, but when they repented, God restored them, God cleaned them up, God gave them back all the years that the locusts had eaten, God put them back on the right road, all because they handled it right. And God's guarantee is, it all will work together for your good. Some of those people, they have such a powerful testimony of redemption that the devil's terrified of them today. Somebody say, trouble comes from me, so I need to repent. But there's something else we have to deal with, and it's called temptation. And temptation doesn't come from me. Temptation comes from the devil. And a lot of people try to handle temptation the way they handle trouble. When they get tempted, they just collapse in a puddle of tears. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, Jesus, I'm so. You don't have to cry and repent. You haven't sinned yet. You're just being pulled towards sin. The devil's never going to give up trying to pull you back to your old life, by the way. You can live for God for 40, 50 years, and the devil's still going to try to pull you back into sin and pull you back into the world. He's never going to give up. So, saints, you don't ever need to give up either. You need to keep on pushing forward for God. Here's what the Bible says about dealing with temptation, by the way. Not repent. You haven't sinned yet. The Bible tells us to do something else. It's through the pen of James. He says in James 4 and 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me talk to every child of God, especially if you're young, especially if you're new living for God. When the devil tries to pull you back to your old life, put your hands out like this, as though you're trying to stop a freight train. 
You need to resist the devil when he comes against you. Don't just stand there and let him trample all over your mind and all over your marriage and all over your home and all over your kids. When the devil comes at you, you need to push him back. You have a right to fight. That's what God told you to do. So if you'll do it, God can use your hour of temptation to strengthen you and make you greater and bigger and better for God. But you got to resist. You don't repent in that situation. You resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There's a whole lot of people that let the devil get away with a whole lot of stuff that he never should be able to get away with because they won't push back. When it's your family and when it's your mind and when it's your life, you need to learn to stand your ground, lock your feet, square your shoulders, and push the devil back. God gave you the Holy Ghost not so you could get a couple little chill bumps on a Sunday night. God gave you the Holy Ghost so you would be a weapon against the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot, shall not, will not prevail against the church. So you need to push him back. My goodness. Somebody say trouble comes from me. So I need to repent. Somebody say temptation comes from the devil. So I need to resist. Somebody shout resist. That's what you do to the devil. But then there's this one. I know more apostolic people stuck on this one than anything else. Everybody say trespasses. Where do trespasses come from? They come from others. And there's only one Bible way to handle a trespass. A lot of people try to handle a trespass like they handle a temptation. I resist you in Jesus' name. I resist you. I cast you out. Well, you, good luck. You can cast the devil out of a body. You, <laughs> Never mind. You resist them and it makes it worse. You resist them and it makes it harder. You resist them and you create another kind of problem. Because that's not how God said to handle a trespass. Do you know who tells us best how to handle a trespass? Is Jesus himself. He teaches his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer. He tells us how to talk to God, how to have a relationship with God. He teaches us all of that wonderful stuff. And then he puts a P.S. on the end of the Lord's Prayer. And he says, oh, by the way, none of this works unless you handle trespasses right. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. If you forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you understand what Jesus just said? That the way you handle what people do to you, against you, the way that people come into your life and they trespass against you. They come into your life uninvited. They come into your life unwelcome. They create all kinds of heartache and havoc and then they just walk out and they just walk on to the next victim. And here you are and you're still feeling the pain and you're still dealing with the memories and you've still got the hurt and you still carry the wound and sometimes it's years later. And I know people in the apostolic church that they suffered terrible misuse and abuse when they were little children or when they were teenagers. And years later, 
they still carry this horrible wound and this horrible burden because somebody trespassed against them. When people trespass against you, it's not a joke. It's not easy. It's not something you just kind of laugh off. People can trespass against you and they can wound your spirit and hurt your heart and they can create all kinds of memories that you've got to deal with. And even me talking about it in a pulpit tonight on a revival night, it brings back memories to somebody in this sanctuary because it should never have happened to you. It should never have happened when you were a preschooler. It should never have happened to you in middle school. It should never have happened to you when you were a student in high school, but it did happen. Somebody hurt you. Somebody wounded you. Somebody sinned against you. And years later, you still carry the wound. And Jesus tells us how to deal with that because Jesus' goal is to set you free. And Jesus' goal is to let you have joy and peace. And Jesus' goal is to take even that and use it and work it together for your good. You say, that's unbelievable. Jesus could never do that. You don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. Jesus can take your worst trauma and he can turn it into your greatest testimony. Jesus can take the wounds and the hurts and the evil that was done against you and he can make you a weapon in his hand that will create havoc in the halls of hell. You say, what's this got to do with revival, Pastor Raymond? I meet more apostolics that are tied up and bound up and fixated on stuff that happened in their past, and they can't help their pastor and their church have revival because every service they come to, other people have joy, and it makes them sad because I don't have that kind of joy. Other people worship with exuberance and excitement, and they feel like they can't because every time they go to lift their hand, they're taken back in their memory to some awful situation that happened and the worst ones are when it was somebody that named the name of Jesus that maybe hurt you or wounded you or said something to you. And so it binds you. And I address you tonight, if you are here or you're watching online, I address you tonight in Jesus' name. And I say it is the will of God that you let Jesus set you free from that. You say, if I move on beyond that, that frees them. No, it doesn't free them. It frees you. It frees you to have peace. It frees you to have joy. It frees you to be part of revival in this great church. It frees you. You deserve to be free. You deserve to have joy. You deserve to have peace. You're a child of God. And every time Jesus explained forgiveness, by the way, because he says if you don't forgive him, God can't forgive you. Do you know every time Jesus explained forgiveness, he always does it the same way? Not one time in the word of God does Jesus ever explain forgiveness as a feeling. I have people say, well, I can't forgive him because I still feel the hurt. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness, not one time in the word of God, is, for, is, is forgetting. People say, I, I don't think I've forgiven him, Pastor Raymond, because I still remember. Not one time in the word of God does, does the Bible say that to forgive, you've got to feel better about it. Or that you've got to forget about it. Not one time. Every time Jesus explains forgiveness, he always explains it like this. There was a king... And that king had a servant. And that king honored his servant by giving him a million dollars. And the servant went out and squandered the million dollars, wasted it. And then he comes back to the king and he says, King, 
I know I owe you this big list of, of, of debt, but I have no resources to pay the debt. I have no resources to pay you back. I know the debt, it's there, it's real. I owe it, but I don't have any way to pay you back. And at that moment in Jesus' story, the king has a decision to make. He can decide that that servant is going to pay for everything he did. He can make sure that servant is cast into prison. He can give his guards instruction. I want you to torture that servant every day. I want you to beat him every day. In fact, the king can make the choice every day at 12 o'clock. I'm going to leave the throne room of my kingdom. I'm going to walk over to the prison house, and I'm going to say, beat him again, hurt him again, torture him again, punish him again because of what he did to me. He owed me the debt. But that king in Jesus' story, he was smart enough to realize two things. Number one, I'm holding in my hand an uncollectible debt. It doesn't matter how much I punish that servant. It doesn't matter how much I hate on him. I can publish a royal proclamation through my whole kingdom and I can humiliate that servant and his family and I can humiliate him for generations to come. But what good does that do? Because it doesn't result in one dollar being returned to the royal treasury. I'm holding in my hand an uncollectible debt. Could I say to somebody on this wonderful Monday night, somebody in here, you're holding in your hand an uncollectible debt. What could they do now or say now that would actually make it better? If they bring it up, it makes it worse. If they talk about it, it makes it more embarrassing. And so you're holding in your hand an uncollectible debt. I know people that sit in apostolic pews and they're having a problem with somebody that's no longer even on this planet. They've already died, but the abuse is still in their memory. But the situation is still in their mind and they're holding in their hand an uncollectible debt. There's nothing that person could ever do to make it right now. It's an uncollectible debt. And sometimes in life you just got to realize I'm holding in my hand a debt that is uncollectible. That king was smart enough to realize that and he was smart enough to realize something else too. I'm a king. I've got a kingdom to run here. I am not going to tie up my mind and my energy and my future worrying about what somebody owes me. And so in Jesus' parable, every single time Jesus explained forgiveness, not one time did he talk about your emotions or your feelings. Not one time did he talk about do you remember it or did you forget it. Every time he says it's a debt that somebody really owes you. It's a debt they should have never incurred. It's a debt that you have every right to expect them to repay it. But sometimes in life people trespass against you and the debt can't be repaid and the situation can never be made right. And that's why in every one of Jesus' parables, when he is explaining forgiveness, he says that king, he tore up that debt. He just decided, you know what? Yes, you owe me. Yes, I have a right to be repaid, but I'm going to tear up the debt. I'm going to throw it away because I refuse to be bound by what you did to me years ago. I refuse to be bound by what you said about me years ago. I refuse to come into God's church and be all hunched over with depression and defeat over something that happened to me when I was a teenager or a child. I'm going to let go of that. I am going to release that and I am going to be free. 
Somebody said, well, Pastor Raymond, if I set them free, then they can just do it again. God's not concerned about them right now. He's concerned about you right now. You're his child. You're trying to walk in his will. God doesn't want you to be bound by what happened to you 30, 40, 50 years ago. God doesn't want you to be bound by what somebody else did to you. He wants you to rip up the debt and walk out free. What if I remember? Rip it up again. What if I still feel bad? Rip it up again because you have a right to be free. Put your hand out like that and grip it as tight as you can until it hurts and then just go like this. That's what God says to do with a trespass. Everybody say, release that. Release that. That's what you need to do. There's somebody in this room tonight. I know you're here in the Holy Ghost and you've been bound in your spirit and bound in your heart and bound in your mind and bound in your memory by something that happened to you a long time ago. But this is a revival church. This is a Holy Ghost church. And it is the will of God that you be set free from what somebody else did to you. Don't be held hostage one second later. Don't be held hostage one more minute. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you pray in the Holy Ghost? Somebody here, it's your night to walk out free. It's your night to get your joy back. It's your night to get your peace back. It's your night to be restored. Oh, that's wonderful, but that's not Zanesville wonderful. Lift up your voice, great church, and pray in the spirit right now. This might not be you, but it's somebody. They might be sitting beside you. They might be in the row behind you. And tonight is God's night for them to be set free through the power of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost. I read a story years ago about a Pentecostal mom. And she had a daughter that was far away from God. And that daughter embarrassed her in front of the whole church when she left church and her sin was very public and very damaging to the family's reputation and it, it really made her mom bitter. And for years her mom was bitter against her daughter. And one night they were in a revival service much like this one. And that mom said, I just can't do this anymore. And she walked her little self to an altar and she lifted up her hands and she said, Jesus, it's like I've had my daughter in a cage in my heart. And every time I think of her, I walk into that cage and it's like I beat on her again and I punish her again for the embarrassment she brought to me and the embarrassment she brought to her family. And tonight, Jesus, I'm going to open that cage in my heart and I'm going to let my daughter go free. What she had no idea of knowing is that that very night somebody had invited her long lost, backslidden, anti-church, anti-God daughter to that very service. She set her daughter free in her heart. She decided, I am going to release her from that thing that I've held against her all these years. And she heard a familiar sounding voice praying next to her. And she opened her eyes and she turned to the side and there was her backslidden daughter with tears running down her face. You say, I don't think that was connected. I think that was connected. 
there's something powerful that happens in your life when you release that and you let that hurt go and you walk beyond it. There's something powerful that happens in your life. I'm preaching to you tonight, precious saint of God. Jesus wants to set you free because you deserve to be free. Oh, lift up your prayer one more time. We're almost done. Music, you can come on back. But I want this church to pray right now. I want this church to pray right now. It's like a Holy Ghost guided missile seeking you out tonight because this is your night to get free. This is your night to stay free. This is your night to get past your past. Oh, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. There's a Holy Ghost conviction in this building right now. There's a Holy Ghost conviction. But with that conviction, there's a Holy Ghost enabling. God is going to give you the strength because you handle it right. He's going to give you the strength to walk beyond it and to get past it. Oh, my, 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 my. Pastor Raymond, go ahead and be seated. Pastor Raymond, I've been listening to you, and I think you're right. I think you're right. But I've been searching my heart because I really want to do this well and I really want to serve God right. And as you've been preaching, I've been thinking. I've been going down through my life, especially the last few weeks. And I can honestly say, oh, I've made mistakes before and I've taken wrong turns before and I've created problems before and I've committed sin before and there's been times that I need to repent. I've had to repent. But tonight I don't think that's the issue. I don't think that's where I am. And yeah, I've been tempted before. There have been times the devil tried to haul me back to my old sins and my old life and my old past. I know what temptation feels like. I know there's times I've had to resist him. I know that. But tonight, I don't think that's my issue. And Pastor Raymond, tonight, I I know you're on target. Somebody dealing with trespasses and they need to release that and get past that. But I I don't think that's me. I've had that in my life. I know what that is. Well, if that's not you in any of the above, but you're still feeling bad and life is still hard and you don't understand why you're walking through what you're walking through, then I tell you on the authority of the Word of God that right now you're walking through a trial. And trials don't come from the devil. And trials don't come from other people. And trials don't come from yourself. God allows trials in your life. And sometimes God allows his precious people to walk through a trial. But he does not do it to hurt them or wound them. He does it because he has a purpose. He's in eternity future looking back at you and saying, this trial is going to make you so strong for me. This trial is going to give you such a great reward in heaven. This trial, you can't imagine what you're going to be in the future because you walk faithfully through this trial. And it's the Apostle Paul who tells us how to handle a trial. He tells us in the last letter he will ever write to a church. And in the book of Philippians, Paul is in a prison cell through no fault of his own. Paul is in a prison cell and he doesn't understand why God won't let him go preach and won't let him go win souls and won't let him go build churches. But now he's in a prison cell, the great apostle. He's on death row in the city of Rome. And from the cell that Paul's in, in the city of Rome, he writes these words, Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Would you lift up your hands like this? 
Somebody say rejoice. When you're in a trial, there's only one biblical way to handle a trial. You don't resist it. No, that's not what you do. You can't release it. You don't repent of it. There's one biblical way to walk through a trial and come out the other side and have God use it for your good. And that's that all the way through that trial, all the way through that heartache, all the way through that situation that you don't understand, but life just brought to your door. You lift up your hands in the middle of it and you just worship the God of your salvation. And when you do that, it confuses hell and it works on you. It confuses the devil and it builds strength in you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Would you jump to your feet? Would you lift up your hands? Would you lift up your voice higher than your hands? And would you just worship God for a minute? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Now, here's what I know on Monday Night of Revival. Here's what I know. There's people in this service and you're dealing with one of the above. You've either got some kind of trouble in your life. You caused the situation. You didn't mean to, but you took a wrong turn. And tonight, you need to repent and ask God to help you. There's somebody here, and the devil is attacking your mind. He's trying to pull you off track with temptation. Tonight is the night you need to say, Devil, I resist you. I refuse to go back. I refuse to turn around. I refuse to yield. I resist you. For somebody, there's a trespass in your life and it was caused by somebody else and tonight I am begging you in the Holy Ghost I exhort you in the name of Jesus you need to release that thing you need to be free you have a right to be free you deserve to be free don't be bound one more moment not one more service you're a child of God you don't have to be bound by what somebody did to you release that and let it go Tear it up and walk beyond it. And if you're not in any of those categories, but you're still saying, Pastor Raymond, life hurts right now. My family's in chaos right now. I don't think I did anything to cause this. I, it's just life has happened to us and we're upside down right now. Then I tell you right now, in the name of Jesus, lift up your hands in the middle of your trial and rejoice your way through it. Worship through it. Praise God through it. And when you come out the other side, you're going to be like Job. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't know when I'm coming out, but I can tell you how I'm coming out. I shall come forth as gold. Would you leave where you're standing right now, this wonderful church? Look at this great crowd on a Monday night. Would you leave where you're standing? Pack your way into this altar on either side, right up the middle. And when you get here, don't waste a moment. Lift up your hands and begin to pray. Because God wants to set somebody free tonight. Somebody, he wants to set you free in your hour of temptation. Somebody, he wants to set you free from memories of the past, pain in your past. Somebody, he wants to set you free from mistakes you made. And somebody, he wants to give you strength to walk through your hour of trial. Whatever caused it, God can use it for your good right now. That's so good, that's so good. Now listen, the Bible says that God turned the captivity of Job. 
when he prayed for his friends. So right now, I want you to reach over to somebody. You may not know what they're walking through, but if you'll pray for them, God's going to touch you right now. I'm not talking about a little sleepy dismissal prayer. I'm talking about get a hold of them and pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Let God use you because God wants to set somebody free right now in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.